0: Listen. I can't hear anything
1: Statement, there's definitely a background hum
0: Does it sound like this? Hmm. Yes I don't hear it
1: Then how do you know what it sounded like?
2: I didn't, I just hummed
1: Exclamation, I'm going
2: mad uh, Question? Yes Why do you keep announcing what sort of sentence you're about to say?
1: Answer, I'm hypothesising
2: About what?
1: Ah, question, then a statement, then a pause, then another question. If there are monsters in Doctor Who every week, then why aren't there monsters in our podcast? We never seem to get attacked. But isn't there a chance we're not alone? You mean the hum? Isn't it possible that the hum is the battle cry of some sort of extraterrestrial hunter? Perhaps we're not alone. Perhaps we've never been alone. and take a breath. (gasps) What? I thought I heard something. Yowza! He's
2: got me scared now. Look, could you two stop being so jumpy? A hum is a hum. It's harmless. Most podcasts have a background hum. Exactly. How can
1: all those different podcasts recorded in all those different locations have exactly the same hum? It's proof positive that I'm right. It's proof positive that you're an idiot.
3: There it is again. Quick, put our fingers in our ears so the hum doesn't think we've discovered it in attack.
2: Good idea. Background hum is a normal byproduct of room acoustics. Of analogue to digital conversion, the whole process introduces noise into the system. It's ridiculous to assume that You can't hear me, can you? Honestly, you lot are so rude. How can we do a podcast when three quarters of the hosts have their fingers stuck in their bloody Wait a minute, where did Alf go? Perhaps he's
3: nipped to the shops? Or perhaps the hum got him.
1: But how do we know if the hum even exists? For all we know it could just be a little kid. Coming or something.
0: I
4: guess we'll never know.
0: Yes, we'll never know.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Ootcast. Very glad to be back. This is Chris Sigma, uh, back Mm -hmm. from my travels to the colonies. Well, they're probably not. They're probably not called that anymore. They were. They? they were at one point, yeah, yeah. So, but fantastic to be back in your Luggles. Wow, that was very Laura. Um, I am joined with a f- <laughs> I'm joined this week <laughs> by a full complement of Oods uh, opposite me, the wonderful Ood Alpha. How are you, Chris? Hello,
2: I'm fine, thank you. Yes. Hooray! Yeah,
1: and sitting next to him is the um, theatrical Andrew Candish. Yes. Andy, opening statement from you, sir.
0: Um, Learned some dances from West Side Story. So there was kind of collection of stuff, you know, kind of like dismissive shrugs, a bit of flamenco, a bit of kind of like high kicks, that kind of stuff.
1: Demonstrate for us now a shrug. There you go. The, the world is listening. Was that yeah, it? That was it. Nice. Ooh, do it again. I missed it. Oh, great. That was really good, everyone. <laughs> Very Gallic. We'll try and put that on our YouTube channel. T- and finally, the love of my life, the wonderful... Maiden of sci-fi. First Maiden of sci-fi.
3: Thank you. This
1: is Laura Mead. How are you?
3: (laughs) I am alright, thanks.
1: Alright? Why only alright? Oh man,
3: Man, I'm feeling proper crook today for all our Aussie listeners. I'm feeling a bit crook.
1: So this week we are going to review the wonderful Stephen Moffat episode, Listen.
3: My
0: housemate said to me, Oh man, it was just amazing. I had to turn the lights on halfway through.
3: What's fri- more frightening? Sort of the gloaming or twilight? Not, not twilight, twilight. You know.
0: Gloaming's a much more magical word, I think. There's mm. more roaming in the gloaming. Yeah. yeah, there's
3: plenty of that. But, you know, I think a lengthening shadow is more frightening than pitch black. Ooh, there's a quote. Mm-hmm. Isn't Unless it? you yeah. are Vashta Narada. Yeah. Uh oh.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about this then. You mentioned shadows, so I thought it'd be quite interesting to say that. You know, we've got that again. He mentions what if we all have shadows that attach to us that are hunters. Mm -hmm. uh, Something in the corner of your eye.
3: What's that in the mirror? Or the corner of your eye? What's that footstep following but never passing by? What's that shape you listen for yet never name out loud? And who's that stripy-hearted chap standing in the crowd
5: Gosh, you found me.
3: And you are Wally from the Where's
5: Wally books.
3: Why can't I see you then?
5: Oh, it's a clever
1: camouflaging effect in the room. The angle of the stripes on the bed and the wallpaper make me very hard to see.
3: Wouldn't it be easier to change your clothes according to your environment?
1: Not at all. My stripes are my superpower. And if I keep wearing them, maybe others will wear stripy tops and bobble hats to public events, like sporting matches and fancy dress parties. And may those stories never end. Goodbye, Doctor.
3: Time Lord of Gallifrey. What stories? Your books don't even have a story.
1: We, we meet characters as children and old people again. This is very much a Moffat trope episode. It's a treasure trove of trope. A treasure trope. It's so clever because he's pulling the wool over our eyes. He's mm. going, oh, look, here's another Moffat monster with all the attendant things that Moffat monster has. But probably it's not there at all. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is... He's so aware and he's playing with the way people perceive his writing and he's written this really intricate sort of narrative trap almost where we think, oh, mm. we're in normal Moffat territory. But really, we're not at all. We're somewhere completely different. We're somewhere with some beautiful writing that's dealing with childhood trauma and the way
2: our childhood shapes us into the person we are. I, I had trouble with it initially because as soon as it finished my lovely wife asked me what I thought and I said I don't think I can tell you because I don't know mm-hmm. and I thought about it for for quite a while because uh, to me the episode had a really strong whiff of sherlock series 3 about it a sort of this is a mystery that's not really a mystery it's it's there as a as a construct to get into somebody's character mm. into the main the main character's character and explore them Which could feel like it's it's basically Stephen Moffat writing it to show that he can do it, and it's very clever for being it's being clever for clever's sake. It's a character study, isn't it? But I realised that I I really enjoyed it, and on watching it a second time, it all made perfect sense. And I think the reason I had a problem with it uh, to start with was that the solution came right at the end, and nothing. You know, it could. You could argue that nothing really made a load of sense until that moment, and then everything makes sense. And so for me, it just took a little bit longer for it to all all filter through and make sense. But I think that's the mark of a really good piece of drama. You have to, you know, you think about it afterwards, and things occur to you, and things you and you start noticing things, even in thought that you didn't when you watched it, and you realise that you've learnt a lot more than you did at the time. Help. Help! We're all
1: going to die. Thank God you're here, scared man. Ginormo Hands is trashing the city.
0: Do something! Never fear. I am here to do that for you. Ha! There you are, scared man.
1: See the damage I can do with my Ginormo hands. What are you going to do,
4: scared man? We've all
3: decided very quickly that um, it definitely wasn't any kind of monster there. But what about Dobby from Harry Potter hiding underneath that blanket, looking a bit smeary?
0: Well, it's interesting because I try to—I don't have. Um aerial reception on my telly unfortunately we're, so, we're in some strange blind spot where i live i can only watch it online and i tried to pause it and i really just couldn't manage to get the frame did anyone else manage to do it the internet because it is did. you know
3: i'm sure the internet
2: should we look now
0: have, have
3: you not googled this this you know. is like the sharon stone's crotch of monsters you can never pause it in exactly the right place you and never know if you, know do, if you, you really saw it. Sort of some
1: fuzziness <laughs> that's because it.
3: <laughs> uh high five. Um, I think it's also because maybe this is so good at hiding. No, what I really liked about it is how every, the, the whole way through, whenever Clara's saying, you know, tell me something comfort- comforting, tell me something practical about what this terror could be. And everything that he's saying is completely appropriate, but it's also exactly what I tell myself when I'm mm-hmm. alone in the house at night. Uh, we've got. We live in at the moment in a great big creaky old vicarage. Let's call it
1: a pile, a Victorian yeah, pile.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like sort of if you imagine Gorman with a tea cosy. That's a bit what it's like. Or for
1: Doctor Who fans, imagine that Sally Sparrow has sort of broken in downstairs. Yeah,
3: sort yeah. of like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's almost exactly like the house in Blink, except for with less death. And I more, hope. more furniture. Yeah, less death, more, more furniture. Walls. Yeah. Less angels. Ceiling sort of a similar amount of ivy and is it less Is rather like Sarah Jane Smith's house? Yes, yes Yes very much like that in fact up in the attic there is a wall which could very easily <laughs> yeah. be Mr Smith
1: and if anyone wants to own the house it's
2: now on sale
3: so yes pop on to Hampton's International Kingston branch and you can buy our house <laughs> but <laughs> anyhow listeners
2: will realise that they could now track down the meads and probably by finding out where the blind spots of TV reception are in West London <laughs> Andy as well I shall not be revealing my location. We, we
1: would give up your location <laughs> under torture though yeah so if anyone is thinking of stalking us we we you won't
3: i mean my pain threshold is low really low like tickling is mine yeah i still can't sleep in that house by myself as a 30 something year old woman just because it's so big and there are so many noises some of which are completely innocent i'm sure but I happen to have been in the house once when somebody did come in downstairs, and so now I just can't persuade myself that it's not actually somebody there.
0: It's reason enough to be a bit scared to stay. Yeah, on your own I suppose then.
3: so. But like, I was really hoping somehow to get some sort of catharsis from this episode. That yeah, it was, yeah, it's probably just some and did you not creepy little gremlin thing that you can zap by pointing mm. a sonic or sprinkling some salt on it like, as if it was a slug or something. You're
1: right, though. As soon as you reveal the monster, it loses its power. And so it's so great that that, that is left to our imagination. thanks. But yeah, for me, thanks. I love to think that it is just the Doctor's childhood trauma. Yeah. And, and also, people are like, well, why has everyone got that dream? And then I thought, well, the Doctor is mildly telepathic and he's been visiting the planet Earth For all of its history. Mm. So I like the idea of him, without knowing it at a completely subconscious level, just seeding this dream of his Mm. to unwitting humans Mm. throughout history just by the amount he visits our planet.
3: But it doesn't need to be that many humans. I mean, we only find out that three people in the episode have had it.
1: (laughs) There's three actors. We see three kind of oh yeah people sorry i forgot about the extras
3: Clark. who were of course very good thank you extras your work is appreciated but that's not like has a sample size six from every creature that has ever lived across space and time is very small
1: i'd love it if moffat had just stopped the episode and and here's all the people that had that dream <laughs> and then we just had <laughs> a succession of hundreds of thousands
2: of people that have had the dream <laughs> well <laughs> you're for realism Hello. haven't you yeah. Dramatically, I'm not sure a scientifically acceptable a number of people to, to test would have worked. It's a small sample but, size.
0: <laughs> I did find it curious that Clara didn't want the doctor to see where they'd landed. She, she didn't say, hey, I've just met you and you had that This dream, is blah, crazy. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, this Here's is crazy. Number. But yeah. And I wondered, she wants him to retain that sense of, of searching for whatever it was that inspired him to go out into the universe and find stuff and find out and solve mysteries. Oh, I'm do, guessing you want,
1: that. do you want my weird fan reason? Yes, please. The Doctor had turned off the fail-safes on the TARDIS, which means he could return to Gallifrey. Yep. You know, he landed on Gallifrey mm-hmm. after all this time of, like, could never go back to Gallifrey, has found it immediately. <laughs> um, so he's turned that off. And if she explains that moment to him, mm-hmm. then... That causes a crazy paradox whereby he, she would have never gone to that moment because he would never started searching for the source of the dream because he would understand what the dream was. Mm. He would never have yeah. done it. She would have never gone there. She would have never explained it. So therefore, so I'd like to think that Clara is astute enough to know that the, she's in really dangerous waters by interfering with the Doctor's past yeah. well, and he, doesn't want to make it worse. The, exactly. the Doctor
2: had said it as well because when they land, we're well, not that exact... Uh, phrasing, But when they landed at the children's home in Gloucester, um, uh, he tells her to go back because she might meet herself. Yes. And she asked if that's a bad thing. And he said, yeah, that's pretty uh, terrible, okay. actually. Clever but, writing. Yeah,
0: yeah. but it's, that's a much less romantic uh, in my head. <laughs> much less romantic than it, what Chris it, just said.
2: It, it does, however, mean that Clara is as intelligent as we've been led to believe, mm. mm-hmm. which I think is comforting.
1: Yes.
3: <laughs> well, she, you know, she's been... A constant companion through being split up into his time stream throughout mm. his life and then now we find out that she was a com- well she provided him with his first companion before he even was a time lord and that she provided him with the knowledge that yeah. fear is a superpower
0: and a constant companion and a
3: constant yeah. companion which <laughs> is
0: what the first doctor says uh, in the last episode of an unearthly child what does he say fear make fear <laughs> fear makes companions of us all you know <laughs>
2: Help! Help! Who will save us from Barrow Man? Never fear,
0: I am here to do that for you. Now, where is this Barrow Man?
2: Here he comes!
4: When I meet the doctor, once I prove my worth, then I the doctor what I for since and with all his doctor wisdom.
3: One thing that really, really haunts me still is what the doctor did to Awesome Pink. Because here's a man who's lived in extreme isolation without hope of rescue mm. at the end of the universe. That he didn't top himself is a miracle to spend that long knowing that you're the last organism alive and in critical levels of fear every night. And the Doctor uses him to go and pick up Clara to bring her back to make a point, then lies to him about the TARDIS not being able to take off again, just so he can conduct this little experiment. Mm -hmm. And I know that the Doctor is being positioned as this scientific man who everything has to have a rational explanation and an equation that goes with it somewhere but that is an exceedingly cruel thing to do to someone but that's yeah.
2: a proper doctor thing yeah. to do though isn't it that's manipulating a situation to make his point
1: and it's not that's... passionless he's just so excited about finding an answer he just uses whatever yeah. is in mm-hmm. front of him in
2: order to do it it just happens that what the thing in front of him uh, is a human
3: i think it's it's just the hallmark of somebody who is very careless with people's lives
2: But he's so charming with it. I'm not sure it's careless. It's maybe someone who who hasn't got used to people having lives again. He's not careless about people's
1: lives. He is careless about people's feelings, though, hugely.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Here's another thing I really liked. uh, Was the image of the toy soldier without the gun. That's Mm. such a beautiful Mm. Doctor image. And the fact that Clara gave that to the little Doctor was... um, uh, must have been an inspirational
2: image for him. That massively screws up Danny Pink's timeline, though, doesn't it? Nope, because that's his hair. That's his no, no, no. heirloom. No, because no, Clara,
0: Clara got it from Orson Pink.
1: Yeah, so it goes through the Pink family before yeah. it goes to uh, the doctor. Yes, No, yeah,
4: you're
2: right.
3: I like it goes through the pink family. It sounds like they had to swallow it and have <laughs> yeah, some kind like a of... Dose of salt. It <laughs> probably went through the dog a couple of times. <laughs> through the dog. Somebody had to sit a, over the loo with a sieve. Well, it Wouldn't it have been lovely
0: if the doctor had sort of fished, out, out, fished it out of his pocket right at the end or something?
3: That's uh, not ooh. what I thought you were going to say, but... Yeah. Wouldn't it be lovely if
0: the doctor
3: had <laughs> fished it out of the dog?
4: and of <laughs> Yay! Oh.
1: Yeah, I I love that. The soldier without a gun It is uh, a great way to think of the Doctor Mm. Although he obviously doesn't think of himself that way With his new aversion to soldiers
2: Squad move out Now what's happened to my gun I'm sure I had it before the lid of the transporter box was closed Oh I'll look for it later We have a job to do Delta Alpha November to Tabby 5 over SIT report. Oswald, what is our location? It's so dark. I've never seen the bedroom this dark before. And I can't see the slinky in the corner. Anyone know if it's still there? No? Unit 1, this is Delta Alpha November. Activate recon plan, Charlie. Charlie. This is Delta Alpha November to all units. Operation Playtime is a go. Repeat, Operation Playtime is a go. Why is nobody answering? And where's the pot plant HQ? Hold on, is this a barn? A good soldier never leaves a man behind, Oswald! The doctor has a time machine the bit with the time war is time locked but the bit before that isn't so i assumed he just goes back before the time war and i assumed it was
1: a bit of gallifrey that had been completely destroyed i mean except for that the barn was still standing
0: (laughs) presumably it must have been originally next to the doctor's house yeah, and well, he's
1: sleeping in the bar. Well, right? They say the other boys, so it feels uh, like maybe he was, children's, yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. children's home, a children's <gasps>
3: home, or a school, yeah, or an academy, or something.
1: Mm. No, no. So I just seen it, and they said they say he's never going to go to the academy. He's not going to make a time yeah, lord. You're right.
0: Mm. Uh, and what that,
3: about the other thing that they say, which is why is he always crying? You know why.
1: He is
2: scared of the dark,
3: yeah.
0: That's, that, that, yeah, but why yeah, is he scared, scared of, of the dark? dark?
3: Why <laughs> is anyone
2: scared of the dark? It's never logical, I, is it? It's not
3: enough to cause so, somebody to cry all the time. No. I, I feel like there's something deeper and yeah, darker and at the,
0: work. In The Girl in the Fireplace, René Madame de Pompadour says to him, oh, you had such a lonely childhood, always alone, something like that, that feeds back into that. And it also feeds into the fact that the fourth Doctor reveals that he only passed... The academy exams with 50% on the second go.
4: (laughs) Meanwhile, in a playground on Gallifrey...
5: Here, new kid. Yeah, new kid. Can I help you, gentlemen? What's your name? You can call me the
2: Doctor. (laughs) That's not your name. Your name's Gregory McCaramel. Stop trying to hide your name, new kid.
5: So embarrassing. Why are you hiding out here by the swings, Macaramel? Are you scared? Scared of your charming academy classmates like me and Ras here? No, not at all. I just like observing the eternal dance of bodies in motion, the interplay of the cosmic and the terrestrial, planets and pupils all slaves to the same forces of physics. It's fascinating. Are you a nerd,
2: Macaramel? Because you sound like a nerd. You'll never be a Time Lord if you keep talking like a girl, new kid.
5: Time Lords can be girls. In fact, you can be a girl. What did you just say to me? You can be a girl when you regenerate. It's a fact of Time Lord biology. There's no arguing with it. Tell that to our fists, new kid. I'd rather not if it's all the same to you. I'm not really one for violence. Unless they're asleep and I can bring them with a rock. Would you like a jelly shaboggan, perhaps? Shut up, McCaramel. We're going to beat you up now. Yeah, we're going to smack you so hard, even your mother won't recognise you.
0: Because you'll have regenerated.
5: I don't think so. Take a look at this, gentlemen. What is it? It's a prototype device I've been working on. What does it do? Well, currently it just opens doors, but I've got really big plans to upgrade its functionality. I mean, really unbelievably big plans but currently it just opens doors. Well, yes. Get him, old Ah! No! Ah! No! ah, I really... I really need to get better at conflict management. Ooh! And stop wearing a frock coat. It makes you look ridiculous.
1: Whereas the master was a bit
0: of a SWAT genius.
3: Didn't see her this episode, did we? (laughs) <laughs> no.
0: <Ooh. laughs> have you been down to the betting shop of that? <laughs> Probably
3: should.
1: Uh, oh yeah, sorry, do you think she's the female master? Yeah. Huh. I think it's Madame Pompadour, uh brain in a clockwork body. That's my favourite one.
3: <laughs> yeah, what?
1: Well, it's simply that the droids had to try and make themselves human, so they finally got Renette, put her brain into a new body. Uh, and she's gone slowly mad, mm-hmm. and that's why she calls the doctor her boyfriend.
3: Nah, that's
2: crackers. I love it. I Ooh, love that one. It's, yeah, it's it's no more crackers than a female master or the rani. <laughs> so
3: it's like six times, maybe maybe seven times more crackers than
1: quantifying the crackers. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's like three packets of crackers that you have to eat in one sitting without drinking any water.
2: Is there any part of the doctor's life? that Clara hasn't become massively important to. I'm, I, I'm not worried about this anymore, but I have noticed. It sort of, she's already kind of saved him multiple times. She's in so many different parts of his timeline. Now she's also essentially caused him to become the Doctor. Is, is that overkill to anyone? <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying it is for me, necessarily. I'm just slightly worried that it might... It's
1: like Doctor Who or Doctor Who. They, you... You know, you make decisions for each episode and then cumulatively, you're like, "Ooh, yeah, it's a bit crazy.
2: It's undeniably a really wonderful scene. Mm. Let's
3: hope she's not a baddie. Oh, Mm.
2: no, let's hope she is. That
3: would be brilliant. (laughs) What a twist.
0: I think it is interesting that the Moff has spent a lot of stories in his time as head writer about the Doctor. There's been quite a lot of them that have been something, something of the Doctor. Uh, And I think a lot of them, this series, has been about the the way the Doctor interacts with the Daleks and the way that his sort of status as hero and myth was looked at during Robot of Sherwood. And now this, Listen, looks at... What drives him? What drove one of the reasons he left Gallifrey to become this explorer in the first place?
1: Well, someone pointed this out, and I'd never thought of it before that Moffat villains very rarely have personality and charisma and agency of their own. They, they're, they're mostly a big idea. Uh, mm. They're not like, they're very rarely afforded. Time you, We don't get to know them, they don't have motivations, they're a puzzle, a challenge, something to contend with most of the time, almost all the time, actually. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to dig into the mind of his antagonist, He he's all about the protagonist, he's all about the Doctor, and now, thankfully, uh, the companion as well. I think Clara, I haven't had a chance to say this yet, but I think Clara's becoming a really well-rounded, interesting character this series. Not possibly as likeable. She's not a sort of pixie, chirpy, perfect. She's like a bit annoying and a bit of a curmudgeon. But I think she's a person and I like her a whole lot more because of it.
3: So the stop, start, hiccuping, beginning to date, very, very painful foot in mouth relationship that she and Danny are cultivating is quite interesting. I wonder if there's going to be any, any sort of payback from the oh, I bet you're breaking all sorts of laws of time to do this, but could you just take me back to the beginning of the date or that part so I can just try mm. it again? And there have been whole romantic comedies about this, and I I wonder mm. what the ultimate repercussion when Danny finds out exactly the level of craziness that her life mm. is.
0: Well, it created his... It created the ultimately Orson awesome, uh, created their relationship.
3: She now has ostensibly set him on a particular path of fate he's gonna go and be a soldier because this mysterious and beautiful woman has told him that's the right thing to do but he's gonna be a non-violent soldier and dig wells instead but we know that he's already really really touchy about the start of his life
1: arguably it was the doctor giving him dreams of being dan the soldier man Mm, yeah and side note i liked seeing the doctor uh knock someone out with one finger like the Seventh Doctor does in Survival. (laughs) I was like,
3: cool back, to Svest McCoy, awesome. Yeah, the Doctor has a number of awesome tricks up his sleeve this episode, not least of which is nicking the coffee, which I quite liked.
2: That was very funny. Very funny, yeah. But
0: why did the coffee stain disappear from the table in that rather magical way?
3: It didn't. It was just steam. Was it? And then when he picked it up, it cooled and disappeared. He could have wiped it with his sleeve. You magic can imagine runs. him <laughs>
5: <laughs> magic away.
1: Great. Well, as is our wont, I shall now let everyone sum up with a few final thoughts. Los, would you like to go first?
3: I thought it was probably the best episode of the series so far.
1: You say probably a lot. Yeah. That was us just doing a bit from the script, everyone. Ha ha
0: ha. Andrew? I did enjoy it because it uh it it I do wonder if there was a monster on the bed, but I think I got the feeling if it that it could well have been, but the other instances it wasn't. so every single dream throughout history, there was no monster there, but in the one instance that there was, the doctor was actually there, and he will never know. But I thought it was a terrific, terrific load of ideas.
2: For me, it was a bit like the first time I tried peanut butter. I wasn't sure. And I, I chewed and I considered it and I, I, I felt the texture. I got used to the texture. I got used to the, the, the flavour. And after about five minutes, I realised that it's genius. <laughs> Peanut butter is genius. Yeah.
1: Oh, for me, oh, this episode without a monster. So creepy and atmospheric. I loved it. And there's so many shows out there content to do monster of the week or sort of just procedural dramas doing the same thing over and over again. To watch Doctor Who just try something different and be so successful, uh, it just makes me so happy. And I love that idea that fear makes us powerful, that fear is a superpower. Uh, I'm even more excited now that I know that, that it's a thread that has sort of woven its way through Doctor Who history as well. Yes, absolutely for my money the best episode of this season so far and just wonderful writing so glad and I'm very glad to be back (laughs) and now before we go we shall hear Chris Alpha's Haiku of the Week
2: The Haiku for Listen He chases the dark but finds only his echoes The search makes him tick
3: Oh That was poignant. It was full, full of, of point. point. <laughs> <laughs> hey God, You know you, me
2: too well. You two should get married or something. It's yeah. <laughs> amazing. Uh
1: great. Well guys, uh see you very soon for another episode of the Oodcast because we will definitely be up to date by this point. Um see you soon, kids. You kids take care. Bye.
2: Bye
1: Toodle bip. Make good choices.
4: This is a recurring theme People have the same bad dream Fear is a constant companion A family heirloom See the little His soldier toy, hiding, crying there in the darkness, just waiting for you. Don't need to be afraid, don't need to be. Just listen, it's good Just listen and be